Good morning, church. Hello, hello. Who's ready for a living word from the living God this morning? Yeah. So we're going to launch right into it. And for those of you who have brought your Bibles with you, or for those of you who are more of the phone variety, um, I encourage you to head to Ephesians 4 with me today. Um, And I'm going to be reading from the ESV version, which reads, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives And he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you have learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, which I think most of us have, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, 
and to be put on the new and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to shield anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. And the first five words of chapter five are, therefore, be imitators of God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for revealing yourself so radiantly and beautifully and powerfully to Paul on the road to Damascus over 2,000 years ago. And we believe that it is through your spirit that he received this text and sent it to your church at the time. And we ask you now that in your mercy and your grace and your goodness and in your victory that you will help us now, 2,000 years later, enter into the reality of which this text speaks. And we invite you to profoundly speak to us today through the same spirit in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So let's get some context for this passage this morning, shall we? Paul, the author of this book, uh, was born Saul. And we first meet him in Acts. The Bible says that he approved executions that he breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was doing all that he could to get rid of the gospel and the heretics who were promoting it. But one day, as he was on the road to Damascus to arrest disciples of the way, which is what they were called, he heard a voice. And a bright light shone, as the Bible says, and God revealed himself beautifully and undeniably to Saul on the road. Paul became filled with the Spirit and powerfully then went to the synagogues, preaching and traveling to build the church. He faced many trials in ministry, one of which was multiple stints in jail. In Ephesians, where we have read from this morning, is believed to have been written when he was in a Roman prison in about AD 60, give or take a couple of years, according to scholars. But this man, he went from being someone who put Christ followers in prison to being a self-proclaimed prisoner of Christ. He was literally blinded by the revelation of God 
and so consequently filled with the Spirit that even in prison, he continued to work and to do all that he could to build the church. This letter then should therefore have us excited for what it means for us and God's kingdom. And from his prison cell, Paul has written a letter that is beautiful in its structure. So I want you to imagine that the stage is like, if you can imagine it in six different sections, the letter of Ephesians. And what Paul does is in the first half of the book, or the first three chapters, he focuses on what Christ has done for us. And what, as Christians, we believe and are called to. So this man, who did everything he could to dispel the gospel, spends the first three chapters outlining the foundations of our faith that have been revealed to him and are revealed to us as Christ followers today. So from his prison cell, he declares these truths. And these truths are regularly quoted um, in sermons throughout the world. But he declares from prison that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we are chosen, that in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, that we are blameless before him, that the riches of God's grace see us forgiven from our trespasses, that we who were dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ because of God's great mercy and love, and not because of anything that we have done. That those of us who were once far off are now near. That those who were once separated from God can now be reconciled to him through the cross. That the old law has been abolished. That in him we have obtained an inheritance. That we have been raised up and seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. That Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. Can I get amends? That we are no longer strangers, but are actually fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. That in his church, we are his body. That as his church, we are being built together. That we are each Christ's workmanship and have been given gifts. That the love of Christ surpasses knowledge and our understanding. That he is able to do more than we can ever abundantly ask or imagine. That everything is in him and through him and for him, and that to him be the glory in the church through all the generations. First three chapters. If my uncle Mike were here, he'd be like, whoa, yes, wow, church family. And in Revelation and speaking these truths in the first three chapters by this former murderer, chapters four to six, are essentially then about how we are called to live as saints and members of Christ as a result of those truths. Our chapter 4 starts with the word, therefore. I, therefore, therefore, because we have received revelation of Christ in our own lives and those truths listed of what has been done for us, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, and in a way that demonstrates our revelation of Christ, his grace, and his incredible love for us. 
In chapter 6, there is a famous passage about the armor of the Lord and how as saints and Jesus followers, we are to equip ourselves for the battle between the principalities. In chapter 5, Paul talks about how we are to be filled with the Spirit and journey through life magnifying God with intentionality and sacrifice and caution. But our text today comes before both of those. From his prison cell, likely with little by way of pen and paper, and no comprehension of how much time he has to write, Paul puts chapter 4 first when talking about our calling and behavior as a result of the truths that he outlined earlier. Having read these chapters quite a bit over the last few weeks, it strikes me that one of the key themes in this chapter is how, having received the revelation of Christ and everything he has done, how we are called to treat one another. Before he talks about battling the principalities of the devil with the armor of the Lord, and before he talks about being filled with the Spirit, Paul talks about how we are called to treat one another in the body of Christ. And specifically, he spends time in this chapter talking specifically about how we are called to speak about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, with the rest of our time this morning, I want to draw our attention to two points that Paul specifically makes about the sounds that should be coming out of our mouths as Christ followers. And my hope is that each one of us are reminded and that we can carry these two points into our relationships and our friendships while also contributing to an environment for deep community as a body. Does that sound okay? So, point number one. We are called, as a result of all that, to build one another up. Paul encourages his brothers, sisters, and fellow saints to build one another up. To speak truth and love to each other, encouraging one another in our gifts and our callings and our roles as we seek to build the church body in every way closer to the fullness of Christ. And a beautiful picture is painted of everyone, everyone, being given gifts from the one who descended and then ascended. And then these gifts have been given to continue the work and continue to build the body of Christ. When all the saints are equipped and maximizing their gifts and operating in unity, whoa! And in addition, yes, in addition, then to making sure that we each are using our own gifts, we are also called to encourage our brothers and sisters in using theirs. To remind each other that we are God's workmanship, that things have been prepared in advance for us all 
to do and for us all to contribute, that our gifts are needed here at SABC and in the wider global church, that our gifts have been given by God to us for this time, that we have been given gifts to speak the truth and that Christ has died for us, restored us and equipped us to partner with us in him. Now, if you are a visual person, you might like to think of each person here as a tree planted by God in his kingdom forest to contribute to and build his landscape. And when someone is encouraged, it is like having water poured over them or rich nutrient compost lathered over the roots. The receiving tree will consequently continue to grow into all that it can be. And some of you are sensational at this and live lives of intentionality in this space, of pouring over encouragement of people in our church family here. And as I was writing the sermon, I found myself reflecting on some things that different people inside and outside this church have said to me in encouragement over the years and just how nourishing and significant those words have been. Um, As I've shared previously, um, the process of discerning whether I was going to accept uh, the call to be on eldership was a very intense season. Um, As I tried to discern whether or not, trying to discern God's voice and whether or not it was something that he wanted me to step into. There was a lot going on up here. And uh, after a few days of, of praying and seeking, one of the things I felt to do Um, was to go and see Jenny Perkis, who I had had counselling with before, and talk some things through with her. And I honour her today uh, for the truth of Jesus that she spoke into my life, not just in that session as we were talking about eldership, um, but in all the sessions before that, of which there were a few. (laughs) Um, But she modelled someone who truly had received revelations of chapter 1 to 3, and who used her life to bring people into their own revelation. And and one of the biblical truths that she spoke into my life through all of our sessions um, was, and a truth that I continue to fall back on because it is biblical, was that the perfect love casts out all fear. The perfect love casts out all fear, Anna. You can imagine in her flamboyant outfits and jewelry flying and her fervent arm movements. The perfect love casts out all fear. What have you got to be afraid of? I'm sorry, Jenny. (laughs) The perfect love casts out all fear, Anna. And in the years since, I say that to myself. The perfect love casts out all fear, Anna. Keep going, keep running. And this biblical truth was sown into my heart by Jenny, and she built the body of Christ as a result. She watered this tree in God's kingdom. Steve Hills also asked to have coffee with me recently. Now we all <laughs> now we all know that Steve is very passionate about missions, um, but one of the things about him that you may not know that I think is a real treasure is that he's also really passionate about seeing young people doing well. And uh, Steve asked me out for coffee, and he's been a very generous supporter of my multiple fundraising antics over the, over the years. But at this coffee, Steve essentially um, talked to me about my career progression. 
and spoke out truths about my leadership calling. And in the weeks since, I have thought about that multiple times. Ephesians 4, illustrated in practice, folks. These are people who, just by encouraging me, have contributed to my leadership journey and our church body as a result. They have helped contribute to the wider forest's growth and built the church by simply watering and encouraging one member. And that's not because I'm great, but because when we're watered and composted, we each grow, we're each encouraged. And these are just two people in my life journey out of many. But I think the chances are high that most of us may be able to remember a person or a word of encouragement that has helped us in our own journeys of using our gifts and pursuing the calling of Christ in our lives. Would anyone be able to think of anything instantly, a person or a word of encouragement? Hands up. Yeah. Ephesians 4 Illustrated. So as we strive to go deeper this year, can I encourage you and myself afresh to make an earnest resolve to encourage both our close friends who we are journeying with and discipling with, but our brothers and sisters in the wider church body as well. As we strive to go deeper as a church family, let's strive to always be building each other and the church up. Let's encourage those who we are journeying with to use their talents. Let's use our words to help each other step into our callings and our purpose. Let's remind each other that without them, something is missing. And that we need each other as we pursue building God's church. This vision for the church's body was given by Paul by the Spirit in that jail cell 2,000 years ago. But it speaks to us today. Build each other up. But Paul also says something in our text today to warn us. In verse 27 of our chapter 4, Paul mentions the devil. He says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, which implies he has already stolen. See, the devil doesn't want to see God's body building each other up. He certainly doesn't want to see um, Christ's body growing on the earth, as Paul implies, if we all use our talents and maximize our callings. The devil doesn't want to see us all using our gifts that he knows have been bestowed by Jesus to be put into action. The devil doesn't want to see the revolutionary truth of the first three chapters being talked about and spread in families and communities and workplaces and countries. He doesn't want to see us walking in full revelation of those first three chapters and as saints of the kingdom of God. He, therefore, strives to steal. And he succeeds with delight. And the Bible says that he is cunning, he is crafty, he is shrewd, that he is on the prowl like a roaring lion. He is on the move, keen to build his own kingdom while he can. He is not far away, but he is instead close, sowing opportunities to destroy and waiting and what Christ seeks to build through us in our words and through encouragement, the devil tries to destroy 
through us. And what I think is significant is that before talking about the armor of battling the devil in chapter 6, wrong way, Paul firstly puts this warning about the devil stealing from us and not giving him opportunity to do so in a passage about our words and how we are called to talk as saints. Which leads to my second point today. And that is that while our words can be used to build one another up and should be used for that, they can also give the devil an opportunity and a foothold to steal and to disunify us. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, I love the church. I love God's vision for the church globally, and I love this church. And I love all of you. And I capture a vision of how God sees us and wants to use our SABC family for his kingdom advancement. However, while we do have a culture of using words to build each other up, I'm going to be bold this morning and say that some of the stuff I hear us at SAB saying about one another is pretty concerning and not at all representative of people living in the calling of Christ. I've been there when remarks have been made about people and I've also heard about such conversations after the fact. Now I wish to say from the outset that there is always a place for truth and love and for respectful disagreement, always. And the Bible outlines appropriate ways to deal with our disagreements, but, um, but there is a difference between this, which has love at the center, as opposed to gossip and speaking down on, on someone or their reputation. So for example, and this is just an example, just an example, you may strongly not like my preaching. Um, because you don't agree with how uh, I've interpreted or led you through a text. Now, an approach in love and in line with biblical recommendations would be that we go out for coffee and talk those things through, ultimately respecting each other and our opinions and committing to still building God's kingdom together. An approach of gossip or slander or corrupt talk, which is what Paul is talking about, would instead see you talking about my marital status or my clothing choices or my mannerisms and how clearly I don't know the Bible at all <laughs> with other people. Not with me, but with other people. Just gradually bringing me down in the body through your words. Again, that is an example. <laughs> And I use it only as an illustration. But when Paul asked me to, if I would speak again and asked if there was anything on my heart to talk about, it was this approach of gossip and slander and unkindness and talking down about people that fell into my spirit. And I believe that the devil has and is stealing from us, through us. 
and our words specifically. And I just felt it was time to call it out. And for our church body to put a line in the sand and to make a fresh commitment to use our words for building up each other and not tearing each other down through slander and gossip and opinion, both in our conversations with people directly, but also in the way that we talk about people when they're not in the room. Now, it has become a bit of a thing that I use props in my talks. And as I have mentioned to people um, that I'm going to be speaking a little bit more of the rest of the year, one of the first questions I get asked is, Ooh, what props are you going to use? <laughs> now, I really appreciate how you're building me up and how you clearly have loved the spades and the dirt and the lamp that didn't work and the presents and the hats and the backpacks and the books and the shoes. Um, but today, there are no props. I told my father that earlier this week, and he was genuinely upset that there wasn't going to be any of his household items used today. Um, but instead, instead, I'm going to use an illustration straight from the Bible and bring our second passage for the day, which is in James 3, if you want to head there. And James, much like the, the last three chapters of Ephesians, is like five brutally blunt chapters on how we are called to live as Christ followers. And chapter 3 reads... Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze, by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? 
Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James actually gives us the illustrations that we need to bring this point home about how serious our words are. And we can visualize through his illustrations how powerful our words can be. He talks a ship about a ship going off course. Our words can, can take not just a person off course, but the whole church as well. The rudder, like our tongue, is physically small, yet it boasts great power. Our words, if we let them, give the devil an opportunity to steer and an opportunity to take the boat of our church towards disunity. Another illustration from James. A tiny spark can cause a large forest fire. I.e., our words about others, while they may seem small and harmless to us, especially if we're not saying them to their face, can damage the person and the wider church body that that person is connected with. Because we are all one. We are all one. And it can damage the body in ways that we do not expect and may not even fathom on a spiritual level. What we think is small is always significant and is always detrimental to the wider body, whether we see it or not. This thing we all have, the prop that we're all actually carrying, it's powerful. It is a tool to build up or a tool to destroy. And how we use it is representative of our character and of our revelation of the first three chapters. What God has done for us and how he calls us to live. It can be used to build God's kingdom or the devil's. Now, we are all very aware that the last few years have been unprecedented. Unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. I don't know about you, but I'm keen for some precedented times. You know? We've all been through a season as a church where there have been plenty of opportunities presented by the devil to talk down on others. And to use Paul's metaphor, James's metaphor, if our church was a forest, there are many areas where the devil has led each of us and encouraged us to throw a match by slandering and gossiping, by, by corrupt talk, by speaking down on or about one another. And in my opinion, in my opinion, these include people's ministries, people's styles and approaches to ministry, people's lifestyle choices, their clothing, their weight, their partner choices, their houses, their children, their financial positions, their struggles, their weaknesses. Those are all some classic areas of the forest and opportunities that the devil will present for us to talk down on others. And these quick sparks that we have thrown um, across the forest have been, de- have been detrimental to our ongoing landscape. I imagine here, um, you know, when you're watching the news and they've got the videos of the bushfires in Australia 
blowing way out of control. And they've got people talking about how um, it was just a small fire that just got out of control. There was one ember that was left. Start small. It's never the intention to end up like that. And it always amazes me when I hear someone talk about something that someone said to them years ago and that it is still really raw for them. The person who threw the match and lit the spark and made the comment has probably long forgotten that they made it. Yet the person who the words were targeted towards, either either directly or they found out about it, certainly hasn't. And careless sparks have been lit and thrown in the unity of the church, can and it does, just burn away. And you may think that your words and comments don't matter and don't have an impact, but they always do. And it is not just Paul who highlights this when talking about the church in unity. The power of our words is a theme throughout the Bible and warnings are continually issued about about it. So not only are we to be mindful that our not only are we to be mindful that our mouths can be an opportunity for the devil to set fire, but we also have to remember that we are always, always talking about God's creation every time. A spring of water that can either have fresh water or salt water, but not both, says James. As Christ followers and imitators, it ought not to be so that the same mouth that blesses our Lord and Father also speaks negatively of those who are made in his image. And we have remembered today that we are each Christ's workmanship, that we are each made in the image of God. Yet as James says so bluntly, we can sometimes use our words to curse the people who were made in his likeness. When we slander or gossip or talk down on people, We are slandering and gossiping and talking down on God's creation. And Paul says that such behavior, it grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who seals our redemption from sin can be grieved by how we talk about our brothers and sisters in the body. Now my commentary of these verses says, words are an index of character. Foul or inappropriate language is not only an insult to the hearer. It saddens the Holy Spirit by wounding him and denying in practice the meaning of his indwelling and sanctifying presence in the believer, which is a token of his final redemption. I'm going to read that again because it's a really confronting reality. Words are an index of character, Foul, inappropriate language is not only an insult to the hearer, it saddens the Holy Spirit by wounding him and denying in practice the meaning of his indwelling and sanctifying presence in the believer, which is a token of his final redemption. And this confronting reality is one that we need to remember. We grieve the king who has saved us when we talk down on his creation in any, any aspect. The band want to come up. So, it says, Paul says in verse 22, to put off our old selves. 
In verse 25, he says to put away falsehood. In verse 31, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and slander be put away. Put it away along with all malice. Put it away, he says. Determine and choose to put on your new self and to be kind and tenderhearted in all situations when we are talking. And I just want to encourage us today to determine to be encouragers. And people in this body and in Christ's wider body who build the body of Christ up through this powerful tool. To put away our old selves, to put away the darkness of our minds, to put away the salt water that doesn't belong in these vessels. Put it away. And live in a manner worthy of our calling. Um, so as the band play, um, um, they're going to sing a song that took over Christendom right as COVID was happening. Um, and Christians around the world were, were singing it over themselves and over their families. Um, and the band are going to play that today for us. Um, but during, as they play, um, can I invite you to do two things? If what I've said has spoken to you at all, um, can I invite you to do two things? The first is to give the Holy Spirit the space to convict you and ask him in all earnestness to reveal to you times where you have grieved the Holy Spirit with regards to what you've said and to repent for that. And then once you've done that, can I encourage you to, to, to stand and to not just sing this over yourself and over your families, absolutely do that. But can I encourage you today to have an approach whereby you sing it over our church family as well. You might want to sing it over the person that you know that you've talked down on. But can I encourage you to stand, to raise your hands, to reach them out, and to sing it over our church family, to pray blessing over our church family. We are all one. We are all called. We're all died for. But sing it over everybody.